Imposter syndrome does not discriminate. People from all walks of life, backgrounds, differing neurological qualities, abilities, all can suffer from the feeling of being unqualified. However, some people do have a more difficult time overcoming these feelings due to societal pressure around their personhood. Neurodivergent people, those with autism, ADHD, anxiety, schizophrenia, to name just a few, do not have opportunities presented to them in the same way that neurotypical people do. And that is why Mentra exists. Mentra walks the talk. And Shay, who is their CTO and who is autistic, walks the talk better than anybody I've ever seen. Sometimes you got to run before you can walk. We can all make pathways to careers and experiences more accessible to neurodivergent people. And Shay is helping pave that way for others that are trying and for us as listeners. Welcome back to the You're Not Qualified podcast. I'm so stoked you're here. Thank you for being here. I'm Courtney, your host, and today we are talking with Shay, who is the CTO of Mentra. Shay is a fucking gem, brilliant, fearless, seemingly, he puts on a good front, and compassionate beyond what we typically see. Let's go break down some stigma, shall we? Let's go. Is it better to be feared or respected? And I say, is it too much to ask for both? So today, tonight, for definitely for the guest, we're welcoming Shay to the podcast. Shay is the CTO of Mentra, which is the world's first neurodiversity hiring platform with an incredible mission to help folks that are neurodiverse excel in their career and have a better opportunity at getting jobs. So thank you so much, Shay, for joining us and welcome. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be dialing in this clear evening. We were just talking about the comet, which is going to be overhead tonight. Yes. So it's it's cool that it's happening late because as soon as we're done here, I'm going to go take my camera and try to get a couple of pictures of the comet. So follow yeah. me on Instagram, Shay Belsky, if you want to see a picture of the comet at some point after this video, after this podcast is published. Yes. And it's much more clear in Boston than it is where I am at in Seattle. So hopefully you get the good picture. I'll, I'll send you the picture when it's done and you can okay. like post, you can, you can share it with people afterwards. Sweet. Yeah, I'll do that too. That'd be great. Maybe that'll be the, the main photo we use for you <laughs> to comment. I guess it's got to come out. All right. I'll yeah. take a bazillion. You photos. let me know. Yeah. I'll let you, you let know. me know. Yeah. So Mentra, there's an incredible mission at Mentra and being in the C suite at Mentra, it's probably very near and dear to your heart and also the overall experience at Mentra. You are tapping into the neuro exceptional potential of 1 billion humans worldwide, which is incredible. So tell us more about that company mission. Absolutely. So Mentra was founded as a business about a year ago. Um, we've been doing it sort of on and off as a project, growing and growing it into a business. And early last year, 2022, we received a, a pre-seed investment from Sam Altman. If you're familiar with that name, Sam Altman is the president and founder of OpenAI. That's ChatGPT, Dolly, Ooh. all of that stuff. And Sam invested in us early last year in 2022. And that sort of kicked things off with a core team of five or so full-time folks, myself being the founding engineer and CTO. I had been involved with Mentra for a few years prior to that. So it was like on and off as a volunteer, a contractor, as things started to pick up more speed. But um, really more about the mission, Our co my co-founder, Jilika, her C the CEO of Mentra, was inspired to found Mentra in response to the amazing potential that her brother has. Her brother is non-speaking autistic. He can't verbally communicate the way that we are but speaks, he uh, not speaks, he can communicate in seven languages, which is fascinating. I don't know anyone else who speaks who can communicate in seven languages. No. Let alone. Yeah. I can't, I can't even do, he can do seven. Um, he communicates brilliant poetry and the way he communicates is through a letter board, through like a keyboard type of uh, implementation. Oh. And when you have a chance to communicate with him, he's such a brilliant thinker and a brilliant communicator. And but because he's so constrained by his uh, autism, 
and by how he communicates, he has to be very careful with the words that he chooses because he has such a such a small window of opportunity to say things, to communicate with things. And Jilika, oh, wow. our CEO, was inspired to create, try to basically change the world for neurodivergent people everywhere such that folks like her brother would be able to find eventually a meaningful workplace, a meaningful employer who could give her brother the support supportive environment and structure that he would need to be successful and lead a meaningfully independent life. That's really incredible mission statement. Is her brother younger or older than uh, her? Her brother is older than her. She, I don't know how old she is. She's like her, her early twenties right now. Uh-huh. I believe her older, her brother's 27 and I'm, I'm 26. I want to say she's in her, she's younger than me, but I don't wow. know what her exact age is. Wow. Are those seven languages, languages that we have in our world and not like fantasy languages? Because the no, first like thing they're I real languages. Thought um, of, that's amazing. He like he knew Klingon or something these... too. <laughs> he learned these languages solely by listening to the television within where he lived and from televisions through like the walls and the ceilings of other apartments nearby, from what I understand. And I can't so pick up a language genius. that fast, but yeah, like it, his name, his name is Vikram. It's just easier for me to say Vikram, Jilika's yeah. brother, is extremely brilliant and extremely talented. But we as society, unfortunately, live in this world where because he is constrained with, with how he can communicate and say his mind, it, there's a lot of barriers in place for him. And Mentor is really trying to bring about neuro inclusion for everybody whether you're neurodivergent on paper a diagnosis or wherever you suspect it or wherever you just something going on whatever it is we're trying to create a world that reduces barriers and creates a level playing field for everybody regardless of whether or not you're neurodivergent here are your um the folks at mentra approaching hr at other companies to try to understand how to help neurodivergent folks get into companies already or is mentor hiring people is it uh like a contracting outsource company how does it work it's, it's a mixture of things so our primary focus our primary model is that companies come onto our platform and they post well specific roles for candidates on the mentor platform for job seekers on the mentor platform um and these are not just traditional like LinkedIn job posting, which is a description, but we ask for a lot of information from our employers, which allows us to tell our job seekers, why is this employer neuroinclusive? What structure or support can they provide to you to help you be successful? Um, why should someone neurodivergent want to work for your workplace? What can you yeah. support them? What can you give them? So it goes above and beyond most of our platforms out there, which kind of stick to the bare minimum. We try to go above and beyond and more add much more detail and nuance to what other platforms have with the express intent of answering a lot of questions that aren't answered up front for neurodivergent job seekers and for other job seekers in general. Yeah, that's a wonderful and obviously very needed and something that people outside of the CEO, you know, that kind of upbringing really doesn't fully understand that it's needed. So Thank goodness for Mentra and um, what is your CEO's name again? Jilika. Jilika. I should have said her name before. Yeah. Her name. Um, her name is Jilika Kumar. Okay. Her brother's name is Vikram Kumar. Okay. Um, and Vikram posts his poetry online as well. Wow. Um, his Instagram handle is Silent Poet Vic V I K. I'll make sure I email it to you. Um, but it's Silent Poet. Vic V I K. I'll double check that right now just to make sure I'm not saying it wrong. That's wonderful. That's very cool. At your role as a CTO, are you still able to be an engineer and code? And do you have direct reports? Absolutely. So right now I am doing, I would say 95% of the engineering. It's me and one other engineer. So oh, I am yeah. doing- It's a lot of work. Men- <laughs> it is a lot of work. Um, when I came on to Mentra in the very beginning, it, I was just like a volunteer just doing this for fun, kind of as like a passion project, but nothing serious at the time. I was just giving of my time and energy and I was just contributing time when I had it to give and when I had the capacity for it so as not to compromise other things. But I was just doing day-to-day engineering. And even today as CTO, I still do almost all of the day-to-day engineering and then also like infrastructure support, 
uh, stability, security, trying to make sure that I'm addressing the wide variety of needs that go beyond just working on code, but more about keeping the lights on, making sure that we're meeting the needs of our customers, interfacing directly with our investors or potential clients or potential partners. I was just on a call today with an investor, potential investor, and I kind of, I wear a lot of hats. One thing that we also do within Mentra is that every every one day out of the week, we have like job seeker office hours where folks on the platform who have questions about using it, who have technical issues, who are kind of lost in our job uh, discovery process, can come into the office hours and ask us for questions. So everyone on the team, myself included, uh, goes into a breakout room to help job seekers with a variety of different things that they're facing. And I typically take any of the tactical questions if something's mm. misbehaving, or if people have a question about the platform, I'm the one best suited to help them out in that regard. Wow. Um, so I wear so I, I wear a, a million hats. I yeah. feel like I'm unicycling on one foot uh, on a tightrope. <laughs> Balancing yeah, on your head. While juggling five bowling pins. Yeah, no kidding, because it's a lot of work. I will... I'm, I'm sure that Metro will keep that up, but I encourage you as your company grows to keep that inclusivity of bringing people in to ask those questions. That's so special. And so many companies wouldn't do that. So you talking about the up. job seeker office hours? Um, yep. Yep. The office hours. It's a, it's a big part of what we do. And we started until recently, it was just one person triaging that and it was just impossible to keep up with the load. Now that it's distributed, now it is distributed amongst the six of us, it Number one, it also reduces a lot of the backlog that people have that we, we formatted the process. And now more folks can come in and have their questions answered. And number two, it brings us all closer to our job seekers and helps us more understand who's using Mentra. What are they asking for? What problems are they running into? Um, what suggestions do they have? What compliments do they have? It makes us all a lot closer with the folks who are using it. Like, if if I was still job seeking, I would be on Mentra tomorrow. I'm yeah. also autistic. I'm not sure if I mentioned that, but I'm also autistic. So okay. If, okay. If, if Mentra were to exist without me for some reason, then I would be on Mentra as a job seeker anyway. Right. Um, You'd be using the it, services. It, I'm really proud of what we do with the job seeker office hours. Yeah, that's uh, also just the name of the game for any type of product user research, right? Like that's as best as you can get is getting them in the house and literally seeing what they're seeing and going through their experience with them. So that's exactly. really awesome. Yeah, that's incredible. I know that you have a BS in information science from Cornell, and mm -hmm. you did mention that you are autistic. So I'd love to understand the experience you had going through the workforce leveling up to CTO of this emerging startup? Um, so I graduated from Cornell in May, 2018, and then I stayed an extra semester. Oh my God, you're so young. <laughs> that's amazing. Science. Good for you. <laughs> well, that's another part of it too. Like I am young to be a CTO. That's don't amazing. Get me wrong. I don't wake up every day and know all the installed questions. Um, yep. That's a big part of being any technical leader anywhere. It's, I don't have answers to all the questions, but it's my responsibility to go out and find the answers to them if I don't know. It's different if I was um, a CTO of my age or if I had more experience or more time. Yep. But because I am where I am, I have to work with what I have to work with and also figure out the tools and trait, tools, trips, and tools, tips, and tricks to yeah. level up and succeed and grow where I don't have that. So for instance, because I don't have like a tactical mentor within my company, I do career coaching once a week. And that helps me not necessarily like be managed by an individual, but this career coach is like my personal board of directors. Him and I have this nautical analogy. And the, when we just started our relationship, I said to him, I'm like, I'm on my ship. I'm pretty <laughs> confident about how to navigate it, but I don't know where to go. And I need help navigating my ship. I need help like interpreting the constellations and reading the signs of the stars to figure out where I should be going and sort of deciphering what's around me to figure out what's next. And the best metaphor. I love that. <laughs> him and I go back and back and forth with nautical analogy all the time. And sometimes it happens by accident. I'm really yeah. proud of it. And so I graduated Cornell. I started working at Wayfair, Wayfair Furniture Company. Um, oh, they're they sell, huge. Yeah. Yes. Um, I started at Wayfair and that was a very interesting time for me. It was my first time working in a big tech company. Um, I didn't tell my manager I was autistic until close to the end of our relationship. And that was just because I wasn't fully like aware of my own neurodiversity at the time. 
what I knew then was that I couldn't just say I'm autistic and walk away because they wouldn't help him. The thing about autism and neurodiversity is that everybody has a different perception of what it means to be autistic because you might know someone who's autistic and neurodiverse or whatever, but your definition of it is specific to the people you interact with or you are close with. So I'll, I'll ask you a question. Like, do you know anybody in your life who is autistic or neurodiverse in some way? Yeah, my sibling. Okay. So without getting into specifics, like you have a definition of your autism or neurodiversity because of your relationship with them. Mm-hmm. That would be a very different definition for me, for someone else. Like everybody's different. If you've mm-hmm. met one person who's neurodiverse, you've met one person. We're all very different. Mm-hmm. So I knew in the beginning, I couldn't just say to my boss, I'm autistic and walk away because that wouldn't necessarily help me. It would almost add a burden because then the, the burden is on them to figure out what that means. Um, but over the course of a few months, just some soul searching self-discovery, I learned more about like, okay, I'm autistic, but what does that mean in a workplace? I didn't really yeah. know what and that And for meant. you in the workplace. Exactly. Yeah. And so I got to the point where once I was a couple of managers deep, after I had a couple changing out the guard for my managers, I that's a whole nother story, but I yeah. had five <laughs> managers in one year. Oh, but the one manager I really liked, I know it, it's, it's a whole thing, but yeah. um, the last manager that I had that I really liked um, before my team got shut down completely, that's a whole nother thing. But the last manager I had, I told him pretty upfront, like, Hey, I want you to know I am autistic. And here's what that means for me. For example, like I sort of tune out what's going on on my desk so I can focus on work. If you want to get, if you want to get my attention, like tap my desk, send me a message, like wave your hand, get it, get my attention. You won't be disruptive. You won't like shock me. But I sort of tune stuff out so I can focus and a couple other things. But I remember that part very clearly. He's like, wow, thanks for telling me. Because that allows him to sort of go to bat for me and it makes his job a lot easier. So he doesn't have to fill in the blanks. Yeah. Um, I was at Wayfair for two and a half years. I then went to HubSpot. HubSpot is a CRM similar to things like Salesforce, Constant Contact, MailChimp. Mm. They're in that space of helping businesses do their business. And I was at HubSpot for less than a year because I was there. I only left HubSpot because we got the seed, the pre-seed round for Mentra. I oh. would have likely stayed at HubSpot a lot longer had it not been for Mentra. So you were working um, both, like helping yeah, with like, Mentra. Mentra slowly and slowly and slowly began to take up more and more of my time, mm-hmm. and I was very litigious about making sure that I wasn't conflating my work at HubSpot with my work at Mentra, mm-hmm. um, just because there's so much liability there. So I made very sure that like keep everything separate because once you blend it, it's no going back. Mm-hmm. And definitely the opening of the door to become the CTO at Mentra was huge for me. And I remember walking with my fiance, we were like walking around in Boston. We were going to go, I forget, I forget where we were going, but I know where we were when I got the call from my co-founders being like, we got someone who's like going to send us the check, like in a few days for the pre-seed, I need you to put in your two weeks. And I said, okay, I can't put my two weeks in until I get an offer letter. Um, <laughs> it was very fast. Security I, got here. Next, I got the offer letter like the next day. And then I remember talking wow. to my, like my boss at HubSpot and my head of product and our designer is it like, I need something important to tell you. Like this is my two weeks notice. And the only reason is because of this amazing startup opportunity that I've been given. I love, I love HubSpot, HubSpot very dearly. Um, and I would likely still be there if it had not been for Mentra. I love them a lot. They're an amazing company. And that was where mm-hmm. I think more to the point of my journey, I had the chance to be more of a technical leader, um, a little more autonomy, independence. And then also, mm-hmm. I think HubSpot has a very unique culture for their employees. They lead with HEART. It's an acronym. I'm blanking on the acronym right now, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But it's a really important part of how they do business and how they work with their employees. And I really sort of felt that uh, empathy and sympathy from my team, from other people at HubSpot who are neurodivergent or disabled in some way. And I really thought that was a really important part of my career journey as an autistic individual. Wow. Kudos to HubSpot. That's amazing. Thank I'm you. so glad you have such good things to say about them. Did you mention that you learned you were autistic when you were an adult? Um, I got a diagnosis super duper young. Ah. Um, I was like two or three years old. So I had an IEP. I had every service under the sun. I would not be where I am without my parents who went to hell and back for me, to be completely honest with you. Because one thing that happens is that folks who get a diagnosis just kind of, what often happens is their parents might be um, 
I'm blanking on the word, but they might be like reluctant to admit it. They might be ashamed. There's a lot of stigma around it, unfortunately. Yeah. I'm really fortunate that my parents were not those people and they were very much willing to go to bat, to bat for me for whatever I needed at the time. And I would not be here about them and everything that I got through them. Yeah. Really set you up for success. And it's important to me to be able to sort of like pay that forward in a way, because for the most part, folks who are neurodivergent or were very obviously neurodivergent when they were growing up, they might not have had parents as supportive as mine did. Yeah. So through Mentra and through other channels, I'm really trying to be the the peer mentor, be, be the person out there to just lend a hand, talk to you if stuff is going on. I do like big brothers, big sister in my area. I just mm-hmm. saw my little brother in quotes uh, yesterday. <laughs> we went to Hibachi. He was really excited by that. And him and I talk <laughs> yeah. about things that you can only talk about from one autistic person to another. Yeah. Um. I think he like he asked me about um dating. He's on dating apps right now. He's he's nineteen. He no, he's eighteen. He turns nineteen in May. He's eighteen, and we're just talking about dating apps and stuff. And mm-hmm. the experience of dating as an autistic individual is very unique. So yeah. being able to have talk about that with another autistic person is so valuable. And he doesn't have anyone else he can talk about that with. Yeah, that's beautiful. I'm sure you've seen, heard of Love on the Spectrum. I have. Yeah, I think that that has brought dating as a neurodivergent person kind of more to the forefront of neurotypical people, because I obviously had no, uh, yeah, no experience with that myself. So seeing it and understanding more of, uh, yeah, like they are honestly just looking for love. Like everybody else is, you are still people, but it's almost more heartwarming in a way because it's something that we don't get to see otherwise right the spectrum is very interesting um i like the show i think it is a massive improvement for the representation of of autistic neurodivergent folks who are out there i have issues with some parts of it i i I appreciate and admire the intent i think there's some places a little rough around the edges like for instance love on the spectrum one thing that i feel very strongly about and i'm going to blow your mind right now is that autism is not a spectrum it is more of a color wheel And what I mean by that is when you consider a spectrum, it's very binary. It's very easy to put people into boxes. You're low functioning, high functioning, whatever. If we're going to use this scale, I am quote high functioning. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jilika's brother brother Vikram is low functioning. But it's very um, simple and doesn't really fully get at the depth to which we are each autistic. For instance, like just Jilika's brother Vikram cannot speak, but I would argue he is more brilliant than me in a lot of ways. And I am inferior to him in some other ways. He has a um, difficulty and possibility with speaking verbally. Does that, and, and that's his struggle. For me, like I can talk really easily. You and I have this conversation. I'm not worried by it. What you don't know about me is that I have sensory issues. Like bring me to a loud club or a loud dance hall and lights out for me. I really can't deal with it. Um, if we're in an environment very bright or smelly or like a lot of sensory stuff going on, I really sort of like have to tune stuff down to be able to cope with it all. Mm. For instance, I dislike Trader Joe's. I'm sorry. I don't like Trader Joe's. It's a sensory nightmare for me. Nothing against Trader Actually, Joe's. I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> nice to be fair though, some Trader Joe's better than others. Um, my fiance, I love her. Today's her anniversary. I love her. Oh, um, she, we need to go. We need. There was one time we needed to go food shopping, and the nearest one was Trader Joe's. And I was kind of like on the fence about it, but we got dinner beforehand. Then we went to the Trader Joe's later when it was like quieter. This one was bigger. It wasn't as bright, and like I could deal with that. And I was just so much happier. Not all supermarkets are that bad. Some are just worse than others, but this particular experience and the fact that she was so accommodating about it and went out of her way to make it a not ne- not negative experience for me, I appreciated yeah. that so much. Yeah. And you wouldn't know that about me just by looking at me. So no, like, not at all. But what does it mean to be on the spectrum? It's just mm-hmm. such a strange term. And I'm really trying to get away from that. I understand that now. That completely makes sense. And it does put people in a box and that's doing a disservice to the incredibly complex way that people are. And it's, yeah, that's not fair. Um, And that in that same idea, then they're put in boxes 
all throughout their life, neurodivergent folks, um, when applying for jobs, interviewing for jobs, a big, you know, thing that Mentra is trying to change and mm-hmm. advocate for. Mm-hmm. Are there specific hurdles that the majority of neurodivergent people face when applying and interviewing? I mean, they are so different now that you've said that, that might be kind of a difficult question to answer, but curious if you have thoughts on that. Something really simple that I, we actually, we as mentor run into pretty frequently is that a lot of companies out there who are hiring neurodivergent folks exclusively are hiring them for like very science or tech programs, unfortunately. So mm-hmm. a lot of the companies that we work with are hiring for like software engineers. And I would say that represents the majority of our roles, but that does not represent the varied and wide levels of interests and skills and passions and areas of study for our neurodivergent job seekers. I would say that if you looked at all 10,000 of our job seekers, software engineering makes up a a fraction of that, not a small fraction, but not the majority. It's unfortunately just doesn't reflect what companies are looking to hire for. And so one thing that we try to motivate companies to do when they post on roles is say, hey, if you're going to post a software engineering role too, why not post a analytics role or a business role or a finance role or like something else that's a little bit outside the realm of tech. That way folks who wouldn't ordinarily get these opportunities have it be put in front of them. Because otherwise it's just like the same software engineering roles that are out there. And you think of going back to stereotypes, you go back to like, what is the stereotype of an autistic person? It's a white guy in tech. <laughs> I'm, I'm the stereotype. I'm a white guy in tech, unfortunately. And one thing that I try to do as, as an individual is try to break down barriers for folks because neurodiversity has a lot of intersectionality with a lot of things. Um, yeah. A lot of neurodiverse people are members of the LGBTQ community. A lot of people are, and they are underserved in two ways, not just one. A lot of people who are neurodiverse are women. The majority of our job seekers on Mentra are women, not men, they're women, or women identifying. Um, people of people, color. People of color. Um, there's just such a wide berth of people. And unfortunately, a lot of the science and a lot of the visual representation in media of aut- autism and neurodiversity is just white guys, white American guys. And it just is not at all reflective of what we see in reality and what we see in Mentra. Yeah. Do you feel like there is um, more progress made very recently for those people that have those two, like person of color, autistic or person of color, um, or, uh, you know, gay and neurodivergent. Do you think that it's making strides to get them to the next level so that they can actually have some more progress and success? I think we're making progress. Progress is something to be proud of. I think we still have a long way to go until like, we're really, I think at a point where people don't feel like they're underserved, but I I do think that we're seeing progress through things like Mentra and other programs that are really trying to bring a lot of underserved talent back to the forefront. Going back to my first point that one thing the Mentra is trying to do is they're trying to create liberation. We are tr- the, the goal of Mentra is ultimately to build a, is to create a world of influence society to the point where products such as ours aren't as necessary because the whole world has revolutionized how we perceive the job seeking process to be neuro-inclusive and inclusive of folks from different backgrounds, different abilities, different races, genders, sexual identities, whatever it is, the goal should be that we're all in the same playing field and we don't feel this imbalance that exists today. Yeah. And it's, it's like, you're working to be obsolete, but that's such a good mission. <laughs> I mean, like, hopefully I don't want to, I don't want to work myself out of a job. Yeah. Like ideally we would just like pivot. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's always going to be an area that needs help. <laughs> yes. There's always going to be something. Yeah, there will. For the people that you're talking with at Mentra who are seeking your services, do they overwhelmingly feel unqualified for the majority of jobs that they're interested in? Unqualified is not the right word because going back to Vikram, for example, a lot of these people are really talented, really skilled, and also really important, really passionate about what they do. It's really hard for a lot of roles that are out there today. It's really hard to find folks who are super zero focused in and super passionate about these subjects. Mm-hmm. And I would say the majority of folks we talk to are very excited, very passionate, and very driven to be successful in these areas. 
they would say they would feel I say more under supported or under or, or, or under supported and overwhelmed by what's out there. The traditional hiring process, let's just say it's a software engineering role just to make it easy because it's what I know best. Software engineering role is you deliver your resume into a bottomless chasm of resumes where there's 10,000 other documents that are going to sit there forever until someone decides to pick one out of the box. Then you do a online technical assessment, which can be a very painful and stressful experience for anybody, especially for neurodiverse folks. Then you do video interviews. Then if you if, if people are in an office, you're going to do an onsite. There's just so much that goes on. Mm-hmm. And it can be very overwhelming for anybody. And it's especially overwhelming for folks who are neurodivergent. So one thing that we really try to do is give them end-to-end support for the whole process for mm-hmm. the interviews that we do and interviews that we sort of work with on behalf of our employers. And we give them the support that they lack and then also the transparency and the um, breaking down, I would say, of interviews into more simple and understandable structures or trying to uh, fend or advocate for modified and modified interview structures where applicable, such that folks are not given an advantage over other applicants, but they're put in the same playing field because people see these yeah. adjustments as like advantages or like cheating with quotes. But yeah. it's not about cheating. It's about putting everybody in the same playing field the way you can look at everybody equitably with the same perspective and make the best decision possible. Yeah, and when I think you're- a lot of your brains ahead, work sorry. differently. Yeah, exactly. exactly. You have different, yeah, skills, brains, you know, yes. no one person, no two people are the same. Right. Even if they are neurotypical. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I did not mean to cut you off. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Finish your thought okay. if you would like. <laughs> um, I think you covered it. You go. Okay, cool. And in that same, uh, people are not feeling qualified and there are not enough diverse positions at all. C-suite positions are for sure top top of the line for me in terms of not diverse enough across the board. You can go to just about any website and you see, and now I'm like, literally, as I'm thinking this, I'm like, you see white men in charge in suits, but who know? they could be autistic, right? They could be neurodivergent, but we don't know. Uh, but there's not enough women, not enough people of color, probably not enough neurodivergent folks that are actually represented in C-suite uh, at any company. So for those who want to become a CEO, a CFO, a CTO, what are the top two pieces of advice or just roundabout advice you have to encourage them to pursue those top levels? The first thing that I would say would be understand yourself better than anybody except for like your loved ones or your family but you have to know you better than anybody i mentioned before the idea of being very aware of my neurodiversity and how i brought it to the workplace and then what i tell my employer and being able to sort of work the system or game the system to my advantage or at least just ask my manager for help or support or more specific guidance in this area was really helpful for me in the beginning so two examples there um when I got to HubSpot, I told my manager, hey, I want you to know that I am autistic. What that means is, for instance, sometimes I can um, go ramble off on a topic. I might have done that today. Um, or I can talk fast or some other things. And between you and I, I want to like work on these specific areas or help you find me areas where I can improve on them. Mm. So the first thing that I would say is just be very aware of how you bring your neurodiversity to your job, to school, to life, and understand that, and then be able to either acknowledge it or do something about it if you want to. Not everybody's going to wake up and say, I want to be a public speaker, and it's going to be able to go to like Toastmasters or something that's not possible for everybody. But if you're at least aware of it and you can tell your manager or your boss or someone at school, maybe they can help you with it if you want to. Not everybody is in a position to be able to do, to do something about it. It yeah. really depends on the person. Yeah, I had I was fortunate enough to be able to do something about it, but not everybody can. I recognize that. But if you are in a position to do something about it or to improve on it, if you think it benefits you, then do it. And if you don't want to or can't, there's no shame in that. And the second thing that I would also say is definitely go after those opportunities that excite you and really make the most of the things that are going to be like, wow, like 
this is going to get me out of bed in the morning. This is going to excite me. This is going to push me to do things that I don't know how to do. Yeah. Mentra, whenever I talk about it, it, it gets me out of bed in the morning. It motivates me. I'm waking up. I'm going onto my computer. I am changing the world slowly. It's progress. Last year, we made 60 hires for the platform. This year, we're trying to make 2,000. It's a lofty, big goal. And it's my responsibility to help my co-founders and my whole team figure out how are we going to get the 2,000 job seekers hired <laughs> this year? Mm-hmm. Big task. But mm-hmm. it's those sorts of goals where I look at and I'm like, I'm up for a challenge and I'm going to do whatever I can to get us there or as close as we can get. So yeah. find something that's going to get you to push yourself beyond where you know you are today to your limits to learn things. I'm a CTO. I came from a job where I was just doing credit engineering and now I'm configuring servers with our cloud environment and Azure. I set up a VPN the other day. I'm setting up code infrastructure, micro functions. I'm doing so many other things that I've never known how to do forever. But now I know how to do these things end to end. And I'm learning a heck of a lot. Your bachelor's degree didn't teach you how to like do VPN work or at Cornell. I'm curious what the, like that, Type of my uh, degree at Cornell was information science. Oh. What that means is it's sort of a 50-50 with computer science and the arts, ethics, and humanities. So my official concentration was user experience. And I studied mostly web development, um, front-end web, some full stack stuff. And that was my education, my training, my internships. That was what I walked into the world with. And yeah. as a CTO, when my job is to figure out how the heck are we going to do this is my responsibility to figure out how the heck we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. For instance, um, a month or so ago, we put out a chat feature. We want to allow employers to send messages to our candidates based on a job opportunity or something. Mm-hmm. And so it's my responsibility to figure, to figure out how we're going to do chat, push notifications, um, the logic for who can see a conversation, all of that stuff. And I never done that before, but I did the research, looked into it, figured it out. Yeah. It's not perfect, but it solves our problems. And I'll always aspire to make it as perfect as I can make it. But the, the, me being motivated to do it and me being really keen on solving this problem is an important part of that. And I I have the motivation, the very dogged focus to be able to just dive in and figure it out. Because no one else excitement. can figure it out. It's, it's me and one other person. Yeah, so and you I have can't to. Do, no one can <laughs> Yeah, and, that's literally your job. <laughs> and my co-founders ask me from time to time, it's like, can we hire another engineer who can go as fast as you? And I said, the answer is no. No one can go as fast as me because I noticed I've been working in this code base for a year, almost a year. So no one is going to know everything about a tech stack as much as I do. Mm-hmm. That being said, I am working on improving our documentation, our testing, and trying to enable more visibility into it. So if something happened to me and I vanished, it would at least be easy for someone to pick up the pieces and move on. That's that's a work in progress, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's my focus right now. I love that. And you seem really passionate about it. Like you love it. And that's really important. It's motivating. And the way I also see it is I had an IEP in a school and I can't tell you how many folks were with me from kindergarten through my senior year of high school who are responsible for my success, my parents being one of them, but like educators, specialists, therapists, psychologists, like so many people, many of whom I can't find on the internet. And I've tried to like email them. And I've said to you, if they're still at the school, if they're still at these schools, I'm like, Hey, like, I don't know if you remember me, but um, Shay Belsky, like you would really help me out when I needed it. I want you to know that like starting this month, I'm doing this startup to like change the world for folks in neurodivergent. And I couldn't have done it because you helped me when I needed it most. Yeah. And a couple of them emailed me back. Some of them had retired. Some of them um, got forwarded somewhere, but I was able to get in touch with a few of them. And that was really special for me. That's so great of you. It's really wonderful. I recently, um, well, recently within the last couple of years was emailing with my college, um, not mentor, who is it that's like assigned to help you through like at a college? Oh, what the heck are they called? Yep. The advisor. Yep. Uh, my advisor, because I took a long time to finish my degree and I was finishing it up uh, in like some classes here in Seattle and like some online. So our relationship was over like 10 years and I would just randomly email him after two years and be like, hey, I'm thinking about taking this course because I need it to graduate. And he's like, oh, you're still thinking about graduating. And I was like, well, yeah, I might as well. I'm like this close. Uh, but they are 
just a good advisor you and like a good mentor it's like it's so it's worth its weight in gold you know like those folks that can really get you through yeah and it's it's really important that they also know that so good on you for telling them i'm friends with like a few of them on facebook my arch teacher from elementary school invited me to her retirement party a few years ago and that was interesting. elementary school (laughs) it was fun like we she she had like a retirement party on like a cruise on a like a like a dinner cruise on the Hudson River. A Heck bunch of yeah. people I recognized, people I was familiar with, and they're like, "What are you doing here?" And I'm like, "I can't answer that question," but it was just <laughs> enjoyable because, like, also like these are people who some, some of them were my teachers, or I knew about them, and like, it's it's weird seeing them with like a glass of wine in their hands or like in like very casual clothing because when you right. when you see your teachers like very prim and proper on their best behavior, like no nonsense, no BS. And you see him here in his dinner crew is like laughing and joking around and having fun. It's like just a very weird dichotomy in my head. I, I enjoyed that experience. I have a it's wonderful, but it is bizarre. It's different. It, <laughs> it gets is. you out of your comfort zone. It, uh, yeah. It also helps you understand that they're people. And that's important to remember, I think, because yeah, it can be like the facade and they are just trying to connect and you're just trying to connect. Everybody's just trying to get get by on this big rock, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> I'm really curious about, you You did say your upbringing was wonderful. Thank goodness for your parents. I'm so happy to hear that. That is obviously not the experience for uh, a lot of people. And growing up, especially neurodivergent, I can only imagine how difficult it would be without that kind of support system behind them. In your line of work, is there any like reach out at Mentra for maybe people that are trying to even get into college and they've had a really difficult time with their upbringing and maybe they can't afford it, but they have so much potential and brilliance and they're asking for almost like mentorship to get to the next level because they didn't have that before. Or is it strictly for career-based like moves? One thing that I, what you're trying to do is connect folks who need that more hands-on mentorship or more empathy-driven mentorship with mm. folks who need it through mentra, sort of us as the uh, vehicle for that. I'll also say that there are a couple of programs that I'm familiar with and I'm a part of, which do mentorship for neurodivergent folks as well. Like for instance, on a smaller scale, I work with Big Rivers Big Sisters in my area. So okay, I have yeah. been a big for a, a neurodiverse individual for the past few years. And it's awesome and it's amazing. And you can find the blog about it online if you search my name, I'm sure. But the point of that is like, he's also like graduating high school. In this example, he doesn't want to go to college. He really does not like the college high school experience. He wants to get out of there and go into the world, into the real world. Hmm. And he's struggling, right? He's passing all his classes, but he's struggling to stay motivated. And him and I had a conversation last night. And he's like, I don't want to go because I just hate being there. And I said, and I said to him very point blank, I'm like, listen, like if you don't show up now, you will be forced to stay next year because you can't graduate. And that like was a light bulb for him that only someone who was autistic could say to him in a situation like it was very clear to him. I made it very clear for him that you have to just suck it up and show up and at, at worst do the bare minimum. So you pass your classes and graduate. If you don't graduate, you're there for another year. And that seems to trigger something in him. So we'll see how that goes. Another program that I do uh, part-time is something called Superpowers Mentorship. Um, You can find that online, Superpowers Mentorship, Superpowers Consulting. They work with a lot of neurodivergent uh, youth high school students and college students and folks who are kind of in that in-between spot where they're trying to figure out, they're trying to understand their own neurodiversity Mm -hmm. and how that applies to school to their life and to other things and they have a lot to give at, with their mentors many of them are neurodivergent as well to have that em- empathy driven mentorship i mentored two people who are there and one of them is a, also a high school student he's having a rough go at it in school with his classes and he has trouble with executive functioning and him and i have worked on building a calendar building better habits building better time management skills and it's been really successful for him his parents are really happy with what's going on That's- that's an example of a program, a program that I know about. And there are more of them out there. And what I would say is through Mentra, we're trying to become more of a vehicle for those things. Yeah. Right now we're not. But if you're in a position where you are 
sort of looking at the world, being like, what the heck is going on? Mm-hmm. Uh, look up superpowers consulting because that's okay. what I do. Okay. That's wonderful. Such a good resource. Okay. I will also put that in the show notes too, for those people. I'll send you I would, a link to it as well. Great. Super, super. So I have a couple of like deeper topics I would love to get into. Um, and there's two specific questions I have that are around being supportive in broad scales, small scales. First, how can neurotypical people be caring and supportive advocates for neurodivergent people within the workforce and within life? Uh, basically, what is needed from neurotypical people? So the first thing, the first answer to your first question in the workforce, whatever you know about a neurodivergent person, check it at the door, check it at the door and sort of like put it to the side. If you're working with somebody who you know is neurodivergent, because that person is going to be very different than whatever your experience is, as I said before. Yeah. Um, me being neurodivergent is very different than it is from Vikram as it is from your own brother. So yep. your own sibling. So it really, the experience really varies. And if you know you're working with somebody who's neurodivergent or you suspect it, the worst thing you can do is apply your stereotype or your image in your head to them unless you know that it's pretty close. If you know that it's close, then do what you have to do in that regard. But without knowing, if you try to do something without knowing what's going on, it could be more harmful, it could be more hurtful for them. Hmm. And it also depends a lot on the company, on the employer, about what support they can provide for you. I talked with somebody a few weeks and they were asking me about how can how they can support someone who reports into them who is autistic and is struggling in his workplace with a variety of issues. If you're in a position of being a manager and you're trying to manage somebody who's autistic or neurodivergent or whatever it is, definitely just like, work with them to have a conversation about it and help try to understand their neurodiversity and how it affects the workplace or their team. Yeah. You can't you can't make them disclose to their team or to you. That's illegal as far as I know. But if they say it to you, then it's easier for you to have a conversation about it. If you're a peer to somebody who's neurodivergent and they're just like a teammate or something, definitely defer to your manager in a situation. But if this if this neurodivergent person comes up to you, with a specific set of ways that they can, you can make the experience more accommodated because it does really vary. Just listen to them and have an open mind. The last thing you want to do is intentionally create a less inclusive environment because you're either being ignorant or unaware of yeah. these things. So just listen and keep an open mind is what I, is the biggest thing I would say for the workplace. Um, that also applies in personal life and family life as well. There's a lot more leeway in that situation. Because if it is someone you're close with, you can have much more um, direct and emotional conversations with that person, depending on relationship with them, obviously. And it's just a matter of like sitting, sitting down to listen to them and just ask them, like, how can I support you? How can I help you? What can I do as an individual, as your sibling, aunt, uncle, brother, sister, cousin, whatever, mm-hmm. to maybe avoid doing things that are harmful or avoid doing things that are going to be make a difficult environment for you just have a conversation about it because you never know what they're going to say they might not say anything they might say a lot of things but it all starts with just like asking them pretty point blank and you'd be, you'd be surprised at what you heard that's so man that's really moving and great advice i and i'm realizing that i could do a better job at that um my sibling has known for a while and that's you know something that we all have known in the family. Um, but I have a friend who within the last couple of years, and he is, I believe like 36, 37, within the last couple of years had a thought inkling that he might be autistic. So he did get tested and turns out yes, but it was like at dinner with his partner and myself and we were really good friends. They've recently moved out of country, but, um, the, and he was just like, yeah, like that's what happened. And he's like, and it explains X, Y, Z about my personality. And it's helped our relationship with his significant other, uh, grow in this way. My only response, my only thought that I had was, oh, that's interesting. And then it was almost like I was immediately overwhelmed because I know this person very well, but I, was like, I don't, I don't know what to say to that. Like, I don't want to say I'm sorry because you are 
a fully functioning, very happy person. And this is just helpful, a helpful diagnosis to understand how you think and how you react in certain situations and how to better accommodate for that for you personally. But I was like, I, now I'm like, I feel like I should have said something more or congrats on the autism. That's what I say. Congrats on the autism. It's a meme. Congrats on the autism. One of my oh. very close friends was diagnosed, um, like over the fall. And I was like, talking with them and I'm like, congrats on the autism. And apparently I was the first person that said it to them and they were shocked by it. And they were really happy. Everybody else was kind of like mixed about it. But I'm yeah. like, the way I see it, getting a diagnosis, whether you're two or 32, it is an eye opener and it should help things make more sense in the past and going forward. If you need medication, it's much easier for you to get that now. If you need access to specific services, you can get those things now. It's not... It's not the end of the world. It's not this life-changing, chaotic thing that it has to be. It's what you make of it, and it's what the individual makes of it as well. Like, it's easy. It's easy for me to casually mention I'm autistic because I make it very clear what that means to me. Right. But that's not true for everybody because literally everybody is different. Yeah. So it, it really does kind of vary from person to person. In that in that moment, it's easy to say congrats on the autism and not see anything more, and it's very easy to say something that could be. Um, accidentally harmful without knowing it. But I think you, you did the right thing, which is not say anything else if you didn't know what to say. Yeah, like you want another round of beer? <laughs> easy, easy, easy to change the subject. Yeah, exactly. Maybe I'll send him a sticker. Congrats on the autism. <laughs> so one more question around that and that I'd love to just get into a couple of fun things before we sign off. On a broad scale, and you touched on this, that there's a lot of work to be done in the workforce as a whole to change to better accommodate neurodivergent people. What do they need to do better? Do you have specifics? I, I, I could go forever. Yeah. But the first thing that I would say is just have an open mind and just listen to people. Whether there's a ERG or community of folks are neurodivergent or disabled, Listen to them because if they're saying something to you and they're not just blowing smoke, they're not just saying something to be fun. Um, they're being serious about this to create a more inclusive work environment or interview structure, whatever it is, they are trying to create an environment that's going to enable you to be successful, um, to enable an organization to be successful. Because when you're known for being inclusive for folks who are neurodivergent or from other identities, it'll only really let you knock that out of the park. Mm. specific thing and it's just like building and if you don't have those communities build one create an erg for folks who are disabled and neurodiverse and allow them create the space for them meaningfully with people who are there with neurodivergent folks to create the space and support them as they congregate in there for lack of a better word and allow that to build a positive feedback cycle that's Really great. Maybe I'll I'll see if I have it at the company I'm at now. Actually, that's very very important. Um, so I see that you ski and you run. What's your favorite place to ski? Uh, I grew up skiing on Hunter Mountain in New York in the Catskills. That's my, my name is Hunter, so no going backwards there. Um, I've got a Hunter poster. Oh, the posters over on the side. You can't see it there, but I've got a skiing poster right there. That's yeah. the Warren Miller poster. Uh, Warren Miller movies are amazing. Um, I've also got Mets Gomez from New York. I saw my favorite <laughs> artist as well. Uh, Des Rocks is right behind me as well. That's the oh, smaller one. Cool. But, um, my favorite place is between Hunter Mountain in the Catskills and Killington, Vermont in Vermont in like the, mm. I think it's the Green Mountains. They bring different things to the table. Hunter is a little bit more fun, I would say. It's kind of like whack-a-mole. There's lots of people there kind of got like the snoop all around folks who don't know what they're doing sometimes it's easier to chase powder on a nice day um i'm i know like so many so many people who go there so i can like pull up to the mountain and go in a base lodge and i know almost everyone there or i know a lot of people who are there that's cool killington has a lot of terrain there's just so much going on there as well like you can just like get lost in the woods and go somewhere new and, and chase the crowds avoid the crowds and there's always just easy way to whatever you want something really hard or something easy and it's just a very wide berth of terrain for all categories, all levels of skiers. Very cool. I've never skied that far east. I've only, the farthest I've been is Colorado, 
Um, but, uh, yeah, it's one thing I did learn getting more into skiing is the snow is very different all over the country. So, yeah. yeah, And obviously the hills and the terrain, like skiing in Minnesota is very different than skiing in Washington. (laughs) As as Johnny drama says, because ski hunter, you can ski anywhere. Cause like (laughs) out East, the snow is a lot more man-made snow, Mm -hmm. artificial air quotes again, but, um, the snow quality is different. It's a little bit harder, a bit more firm. Whereas at West, a lot more natural snow, a lot fluffier, softer snow. And you don't have as much like snowmaking infrastructure out there. Whereas that in the East Coast, you live and die by this snowmaking. If you can't make snow, you're not going to make it. Yeah. You know, it's pretty sad is they've gotten more snowmaking technology out here because they have to. Gosh, darn it. But yeah. there's, yeah, there's a couple of mountains uh, that have had it, which is such a bummer. <laughs> Screw climate change. Okay. Uh, How do you feel about marathons? Um, I haven't done one in a while. I've wanted (laughs) to, but I've been very busy with mantra and with planning a wedding this year, both of which are very stressful and time consuming experiences. Oh yeah. I ran the last marathon that I ran was the virtual Boston marathon. That was 2021. Um, that was a lot of fun is one of the most physically taxing things you can ever do in your life, but I really enjoyed it anyway. Um, now I've done a lot of half marathons recently. I broke my half marathon PR uh, over the fall. I ran a sub two hour marathon. I'm always very happy with that. Whew. My fiance and I are volunteering for the Boston Marathon, which would be really exciting. We're going to be working in the finish line, hopefully. Um, and that's a really positive experience. You see these incredible athletes who will run faster than I'll ever run coming in and just need support from you. And you just got to get them where they got to go. Um I am going to run the Boston 5K, which is the marathon weekend, and the half marathon again. The 10K is a toss-up because it's the same weekend as my wedding shower, so I don't mm. think I can make. Don't think I can make that one, but we're going to try. You could make your whole wedding party do it with you. Uh, if you want to keep your friends, maybe not. I only know only, I only the only person who could. Okay, there's like two or three people who can maybe do the 10K with me. My younger brother and my fiance's brothers were also runners. I don't think any of the rest of them are runners. They would probably like pass out if they tried to. Um, I can make them do maybe like a, a one mile run. <laughs> there you go, that a beer be run. <laughs> that would be fun, actually. I you did a beer with my fiance, actually. That was a lot of fun. And I wasn't I wasn't planning on doing the run. So I showed up in like a t-shirt like this and jeans and I still ran it and it was really tough. Oh, yeah. You're probably still one of the fastest ones. Sub two hour half marathon is something to be very proud of. It was exhausting. The first eight miles was fine. Mm-hmm. The last five were so difficult. Yeah. I cannot I get sub two and a half. So it's like, that's it's one tough. thing I'm working on this year. Yeah. And it's, it's one thing, the training, you don't really expect the type of training that you need to get sub two hours, right? You have to have a lot of sprints in there, but you also have to have slow, long runs. And then you have to also probably train your legs to be stronger. And it's just, there's a lot. You have to get used to the distance. Honestly, is the hardest thing. Just like get your body used to it's working, working for that long at that distance. If you're on Strava, I'll add you on Strava. Yeah, I am. I'll, Yeah send it on over. <laughs> what is the one thing you really want to accomplish for life, for your life, for you? And then for other people too, what what would help you not to be morbid, but die happy? My pipe dream fantasy is to hike the, Appala- hike the Appalachian Trail. My, yeah. my pipe dream goal is in, a, in the best case scenario, if Mentra gets acquired or sold or whatever, and I have a clean exit, then I take like a couple, I take like a year or so off and I go mm-hmm. hike the Appalachian Trail. I've watched documentaries about it. I've seen like all these like podcaster video people who do it. And it just seems like a, such a fun experience and I would love to do it. Um, that's a pipe dream for other neurodivergent, for, for more of like life feel good type of things. I really want to continue being an advocate and peer mentor for neurodivergent folks, especially folks who don't have that neurodivergent peer in their lives who they can talk to. I think that I found is the most impactful thing that I can do for folks, whether it's on a small scale or a larger scale, it's like sit down and talk with somebody because all neurodivergent people want to do is just have someone who can listen, who's like been there, done that. And it's like that simple word, been there, done that, where I can say to somebody I'm mentoring, like, yeah, I've been there and it sucks, or I've been there, done that, and I'm proud of you. Here's what I would do, or here's my recommendation. And just giving them that context and that 
lived experience to avoid the same mistakes that I may have made or help them do the things that made me really successful on their terms. And I think that's the most rewarding thing that I can be do for other people in my life, given, given where I've come from and given where I want to go. Advice and context. That's amazing. And it's, it is so important coming from somebody who's done it. And you're like, hey, this is what I did. This is what the outcome was. This is what I did. Don't do this because this outcome was not good. Absolutely. Like if the person I am a big brother for, him and I go back and forth on dating apps and stuff. We just talked about that last night and I gave him some dating advice as well. Mm-hmm. So I was on dating apps for about a year before I, found my, before I met my fiance. So I gave him the, the real load on there. Like, here's what you got here's what you got to do. Here's what you got to avoid. Remember to be safe, all that stuff. Yeah. What app did you guys meet on? Uh, my fiance and I met on Bumble first. And then after our first date, before we were exclusive, we also matched again on Hinge. So we knew it was really a match. <laughs> that was really interesting because like I get the notification, your daily match is here and it's my fiance. And we're oh like, oh, my hey, gosh. how are you? So, uh, you know, it's a match, it guys, really if you match serious. on two different dating platforms. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a match. Uh, well, Shay, this has absolutely been just such a joy to talk to you and learn all about Mentro. Where can people find you? Uh, I am everywhere because there's only one person with my name out there. So if you search for my name, you're no only way. going to find me. Find another Shea Bellski and like, I'll you. send you a Venmo. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to, that's my Google personal me. I dare you to find another person whose name is Shea Bellski out there. I don't think there is one. There oh, is a person right. whose name is Shea, S-H-E-Y-A Bellski out there, hmm. but they're like way down in the search results. I cannot find anybody out there whose literal, whose real name is Shea Bellski. Um, this Shea Belsky person was written as Shea Belsky in a yearbook, um, huh. but it might, it might have been a nickname. I'm not yeah. sure. I cannot find another Shea Belsky. Whereas, like, my brother, there's a bunch of him out there. My dad, there's a bunch of him out there. And what's also really funny is that my my dad's sister, my dad's sister's name is the same as my mom's name, my dad's wife's name. So there's two people with the same name. And so they get confused very easily. People coming on Facebook were like, oh, hi, how are you? Because like it's a different, completely different person, but it yeah. happens to be related. Oh, um, that's convoluted. Oh, yeah. Um, but find another Shea Belsky and I'll send you like, a, I'll send you a bunch of stickers or a Venmo or something. All right. So everybody um, listening, this I is your mission. I am Shea Belsky on LinkedIn, um, Instagram, if you want to check out the comment photo eventually. Um, if you want to email me at any point. My email is Shay, S-H-E-A, at Mentra, M-E-N-T-R-A, dot me. All you have to remember is Shea Butter. Um, my name is spelled and pronounced like Shea Butter. And I used to do a ski patrol. My nickname was Shea Butter. Shea there. Butter. That's it works awesome. On, it, it works with women because women know what Shea Butter is. Men yeah, don't really do. know what Shea Butter is. And it's I, pretty I just, adorable. <laughs> I missed the train on that pickup line, unfortunately. Um, my fiance loves it. Well, I, I, I use that if I'm introducing myself to somebody who has a chance to know what shea butter is, but most men do not. Just put it in your wedding vows and you'll be good. You're, That's a good point. You're her shea butter for life. She'll never have to oh, buy another bottle. I'm stealing that. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have to do that. <laughs> uh, well, I really do appreciate your time and I'm really excited to see your photo of the comet and hope it's better than my photo because it will be. <laughs> I'll don't send have it to nice you once, once I take I'll send there. it to you as soon as I get a chance to take it. There we go. All right. Well, have a good night, Shane. Thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Thank you so much again for having me. Have a good night. Have a good afternoon, good evening, good night, wherever you're dialing in from. Welcome to the end of the episode, imposters. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being here. Really, really appreciate it. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Shay. As you can very obviously tell, Shay is very, very passionate about what he is doing and what Mentra is doing, opening these gateways to better careers and just more support overall for neurodivergent people. It's a noble venture. The world needs people like him. The world needs people like you. If you have a great idea that you want to pursue, that is helping other people, that is making the world a better place, and you feel like you can't do it for whatever reason it may be, maybe you are also autistic, maybe you have severe anxiety, maybe you have ADHD, and you feel like these are setting you back. 
I encourage you to check out Mantra first and second. Believe that you can and you are very deserving of the life that you want to live. You are very deserving. As I say with many things, write it on your wall. Your wall is going to be covered with mantras and all of the stuff that we're spewing on this podcast, but just cover it up with paint when you move out and you're going to be all good. And while you're living there, it's going to be a wonderful reminder that you can do whatever the hell you set your mind to and you deserve all the good things that you want, no matter your background and no matter how your brain works. All right. You deserve it. I am Courtney Heater again. You can find me. I'll send all the links in the show notes. You can find them there. If you feel like you would be a good fit for this podcast, please get in touch. Or if you know somebody that you think would be a great fit for an interview, get in touch. Y-N-Q-Pod. Y-N is a Nancy Q-Pod at gmail.com. If you have a story about imposter syndrome and how you navigated it, how you changed your own life, how somebody else helped you, please send it in. I would love to hear your stories. It's very inspiring stuff. Are you ready for some trivia? So we talked about the comet. The night that Shay and I recorded this episode, the green comet was visible. The green comet, which was discovered in March of 2022, so just about a year ago by the Zwicky Transient Facility in California. So it made its closest approach to Earth on February 1st, which is when we recorded this, which was very exciting. I did not get a picture of it. I couldn't see. It was too foggy. And I think I set my alarm even for 4 a.m. to try again. And of course, I didn't get up. So I'm hoping that Shay has it. But that's not your trivia. So your trivia, that... That sparked in me a desire to learn about comets. And I was like, so how often can we actually see comets from Earth? We know the typical ones, Halley's Comet. Now we know of the Green Comet, not to be confused with the Green Goblin. We hope not to see him. But on average, that is every five years average, one can expect to see a major comet visible from the Earth. For some reason, I thought it was more frequent than that. So comets are a really special thing when we can see them from Earth. However, the variability around that average is also about five years, so one standard deviation. That's some math stuff I don't fully understand, but this oh, it explains it great. This means that on average, a major comet arrives at every five to 10 years. And sometimes the visitations are clustered. So sometimes they come in pairs and they're like, hey, let's buddy up and just pass by Earth and give everybody some awe-inspiring shows. I love that. We love comets. Oh, okay, so thank you again for being here. Get in touch with me, get in touch with Shay. Believe in your damn self, and I will see you next Thursday. Bye.